Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. Well, as we get started this morning, as we dive into our, our message this morning, I wanted to take a moment to just kind of center ourselves and to pray as we dive in this morning. So if you would, let's just take a moment to, to pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his love. We thank you for his grace. We thank you for your mercy and how you have not only bestowed it upon us, but how you have called us to extend that into this world, to be that kind of people and to be those kind of people. So Father, this morning as we dive into your text, as we dive into your word that you have given us, may we not only be receptive, but may our hearts and our minds and our ears be as open as possible to what it is that you would have us here. And that in so doing, we would begin to live that out and act in that way and to be those people as we are constantly formed in your image and in your likeness. It's in your son's name that we pray all of these things. Amen. As we get started this morning, I wanted to just take a moment of acknowledgement. A moment to acknowledge that this has probably been one of the toughest weeks for many women. And if you will look around the room, there are three men at the moment. That this has been a pretty rough week for women in the national conversation, so to speak, in what has been going on, that there has been triggering sorts of conversations, triggering sorts of images and things that has just been really, really difficult and really, really hard. And so I wanted to take a moment at the outset of this and just acknowledge that. And at the same time, just say, be tender with yourselves. If you are a survivor of sexual assault, if, if that has been a part of your past or a part of your story, we hear you and we know, maybe not the same way that you know, but we can know as a church that that is hard and that we want to be there to support you and to rally around you as much as we can. And so I want to take this space to just acknowledge that as well as to just let's kind of just sit in this space and allow God's love and his mercy and his grace to kind of wash over us in this space. To just allow that to resonate deep within and to know that you are loved not only by God but by the people in this room and that we want to be there with you and for you in this space. One of the challenges with this week is that it has really exposed, perhaps repeatedly, not for the first time, but for a long stretch of time now that the church actually has a credibility problem. That we have a real, 
real big credibility problem when it comes to the world around us. How people see the church has become really, really gross. It has become really, really icky. And the ways in which we are perceived as a people is really, really not good. It has continued season after season after season to devolve more and more and more as our reputation in this city, our reputation in this country, our reputation around the world continues to be sullied by the words and the actions that continue to emanate from the church. The church has a credibility problem, a big one, a strong one. And this season that we are in is really no different. It's been exacerbated, and it has therefore, but it's been here for over a century. The ways in which the church has been perceived to have a credibility problem is not new. What we are seeing this week, or what we have seen over the course of the past month, or over the course of the past two years, actually extends much longer than that. It's, it's longer than the decade. It's longer than the half century. It's longer than a century. In fact, it is almost 200 years old as to when the major credibility problems of the church began here in America. Mark Knoll is a professor of Christian history at Notre Dame University. And Mark Knoll wrote in a book about the credibility problem that the church faces. He, he wrote some really fascinating words. He said that basically in the 1830s and 1840s, the evangelical church was on the verge of what it really wanted to do. That it was at about peak pinnacle success of converting America, of actually having a strong wave of change rush over this country to where every single person would have been a Christian, that the church would have, would have ascended to the peak of culture, that it would have been the place that everyone was looking to and wanting to hear answers from. In fact, that was kind of where it was at the moment. People were beginning to look and to see the church as this thing that was changing and creating beautiful things around the country and in the world as hospitals were opening because of churches and schools were opening because of churches. There was all sorts of beautiful things taking place at the beginning of the 1830s and 1840s. It was about to make America into an evangelical Christian country and society. But then something happened. Noel says, what happened was everybody waited for the church to turn to the big thing that divided the country, which was slavery, and come up with, what does the Bible say about slavery? Tell us the answer, church. Everyone was beginning to look to the church for this answer about the great thing that divided the country. And the Christian church was too deeply enmeshed in its own cultural differences and read their cultural differences into the scriptures. And they couldn't agree on what the Bible said about slavery. And as a result, Mark Knoll says that as a result, the country had to go to war. That in the midst of this great division, this great schism that was taking place, the church had an opportunity, a very real and clear-cut opportunity to stand in the middle of that gap and say, this is what the Bible says, and everyone would have listened. That the church could have actually prevented the civil war. That the church could have been peacemakers 
as Jesus called us to be. But because the church couldn't figure it out, because the church couldn't work out the differences, and because the church couldn't come to the Bible and say, here is the answer, and I think the church, and if the church had spoken as this unified body at that time, with the power that it had, we wouldn't have had to go to war. But according to Mark Knoll, we had to go to war, and that was the last time American society got close to trusting the evangelical church. And he ends that paragraph with a statement, why should it now? Why should it now? The de-evolution of our credibility as a church, a church, capital C, not united, but, and not a Seattle church area, but all of the country, the de-evolution of our credibility has its roots, I think, in our understanding of the Imago Dei, that all of us are created in the image of God. That we have actually lost that idea, that concept, that is at the very core, the very foundation of creation. It takes place all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, and in fact, on most, uh, in most Bibles is on the exact first page of Scripture. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 where God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Here's what's so beautiful about this scripture. The foundation of the earth was being laid. That God had said, let there be light and let us separate light from darkness and let there be water and let there be land and let there be animals that roam day after day after day of creation. And then he gets to the sixth day and he says, and let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And then verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them in his own image. That at the very foundation of creation, at the very foundation of who we are as people, that we carry with us the image of God in our very being. And not just me, but Nicole and Stephanie and Alyssa and Taylor and Christy, everyone. We all hold within us the image of God in our very being. Everyone in this room was made and created in the image of God, that we are his image bearers. This is our identity. This is your neighbor's identity. This is who we are. We've lost that somehow as a church. We've lost that and we've actually not only lost it for ourselves, but we have lost it for others. And we have split and fractured ourselves within this society to such an extent that our identity is floating out there as we have no idea who we are. But at the very foundation of our being is this idea that we were created in the image of God. Father Richard Rohr says this about our oneness and about our image of Godness. He says, when we are secure and confident in our oneness, knowing that 
all are created in God's image and are equally loved, differences no longer threaten us. When we recognize that we, all of us, every single person in this room and outside of this room, male or female, whatever race or ethnicity, whatever religion, when all of us understand that we are created in God's image, that oneness can happen, that we can actually begin to live in a new way as the bearers of that image in this world around us. Simone Weil said this about equality. She said, she said, equality is a vital need of the human soul. It consists of its recognition that the same amount of respect and consideration is due to every human being. That all of us, together, she's hearkening to this image of God that rests so deep within us. But the question that sits within this for me is, what does that mean? What is this image of God? What does that mean? Who are we then? If we all carry within us this image of God, what does that mean at the very depths, at the core of our being? I see people every single day walking around. I, I, I try and spend as much time as I can walking around the city, observing life and to see what happens. And every so often, I see these beautiful stories begin to emerge of this image of God beginning to percolate and bubble up to the surface. The other day, I was down on 3rd um, and Pike by the, uh, by the bus stops that are down there. And oftentimes, it's kind of a, a central hub, if you will, of homelessness within the city. There's this central hub of like people are kind of congregating there to kind of hang out and, and do their thing. There was this woman that had sat down, I didn't see her sit there, but I, I, she was sitting down on like this cardboard thing, mat, so to speak, with her two kids, two little girls. It looked like one was probably three and another one was like seven or eight. And she sat there and she just had a little sign that said hungry. That was it. And I noticed a man in kind of like his business casual wear walk up to her and say something. But I have no idea, no idea what he said to her. And as I watched this unfold, my bus came and I said, I want to see what happens. There was just something, something about that interaction that I said, I think I'm going to see something really beautiful here if I just wait another five minutes. So I kind of held back, just kind of waited a little bit, watched my bus go away, and I saw the man come back carrying two giant bags of McDonald's. He sat down with them, and he began to pass out the food to each person. It looked like he was taking their order at one point, like right when he was talking to them. That's probably what he was doing, was taking their order. And then the best thing happened. He pulled out a meal for himself and sat down with them. And they shared a meal in this space. That's the image of God percolating up. Not only 
within him, but in recognizing the people that were around him, that they too, they too carry the image of God. It was one of the most beautiful things I've seen in this city in a long time. Sharing a meal. Not just giving a meal and walking away, but sharing a meal. This is who we are as a people. This is what it means to live the God-breathed life. This is what it means to understand that God has imprinted upon us his very being of love, of grace, of mercy, and that we are to be a people that extend that wherever we go. This is our identity. This is what I hope that we as a church are trying to recapture. That we are trying to recapture this lost identity of the image of God buried deep within ourselves. That we're actually beginning to allow ourselves to open up to it more and more and more. And allow this love to begin to flow out of us into the people around us, no matter who they are. No matter where they have come from. That we would be a people filled with love. Because this is not only who God is. But this is the life that Jesus led us to believe is the life, the good life, the life of abundance that he calls us to in John chapter 10. That we get to live this thing. That we get to be those people. That that story is not something that I observe anymore. But it's a story that I can begin to participate in. That's why I love so much what we do with Tent City 5. And so for some of you, you're like, oh, we hear about Tent City 5 all the time, blah, blah, blah. And that's fine. I don't care. Because it's amazing what we get to do. It's so awesome that every single week, we are practicing a faithful presence in that space. A faithful presence. All the time I see people talk about, oh, today we just bagged a million groceries. And we just fed 10,000 people in one fell swoop. And I'm like, that's so awesome. That's actually really, really great. But we're doing something a little bit different. We are practicing a faithful presence within Tent City 5. That we are there consistently and regularly, week in and week out. That we can actually begin to know their names and the names of their dogs. Because it matters. Peanut. Little, little chihuahua thing. Peanut and Woody. Then we get to know Reuben, and we get to hear his story of coming up from San Diego and trying to figure out how to live here. Or from David, who moved from Tennessee but found out that his housing and his job that he was moving here to fell through once he got here. And he's trying to figure out what life looks like. We get to celebrate with the men that just got a job at Shake Shack. The new Shake Shack that's opening up. They're so excited. Like, I got a job at Shake Shack. And we get to celebrate with them. The men and the women that are coming in after work to come and just eat a meal. And over the course of the year that we have been doing this, even though we're only uh, April, we're only six months old as a church, we've been doing this for over a year, this faithful presence within Tent City 5. And we have fed, we have have served over 2,520 meals. That's what happens with faithful presence. 
That the things that we do over and over outwardly in this city can have a multiplicating, is that a word? A multiplying effect. I'm making up words now. Multiplicating. That's so true. But it can have a multiplying effect that carries on long after we've been here, long after we have done what we've done. In fact, there are some of us within our community that are beginning to dream about what it would mean to actually multiply this faithful presence into a new tent city that is beginning to open up on the other side of the hill. So Tent City 5 is on the west side of Queen Anne, down at the lower part over by Inner Bay. And there's a new tent city that is beginning to open up on the east side of the bottom of the hill. And we've begun to dream, people in this community are dreaming, like, what would it look like for us to do that there? as this place begins to open up, that we can have a faithful presence with people within our own neighborhood. Those people that are the least of these, the cast out, the kicked away, the tossed aside, that we can actually show them this amazing and beautiful love and grace and mercy that we get to say we are true image bearers of the King, true image bearers of God, and so are you. So are you. So are you that we can be these types of people within this city and within this neighborhood, within this community. What does it look like for us to do that over and over and over again? Because it requires a faithful presence. You see, I think the church has a credibility problem. We have a huge and terrible credibility problem. Until we begin to engage with our neighbors. That's where the credibility problem goes away. When we begin to show them love and care, and they realize, you're a church? You're Christians? You're evangelicals. Oh my goodness. When we begin to do that, the credibility begins to erode away, like the problem erodes and disappears, and through all of the muck and all of the mire, this beautiful light begins to shine forth and shine through, and people say, oh, that is a church. That's beautiful. Almost every week at Tent City Five, I tell somebody that we're a part of a church, and they're like, really? That's really cool. Wow, okay. They're surprised by it. And they're even more surprised when they find out that we're actually on top of the hill, that we meet up here on top of the hill, that this is our space that we are blessed and lucky and amazed to have, like to, to use week in and week out without any problem, without any struggle, without any challenge. Like that, that we're just on top of this hill because there's such a dichotomy between the top and the bottom of the hill. They're amazed that this is a church that is doing this. Credibility is beginning to build and grow. And sure, it's been a year. It's a long, long process of relationship and of growth. But good things happen as a result. The other thing that's also really beautiful is when other people find out about what we do as a church, they're surprised. 
When people that aren't necessarily Christians find out that we are engaged in Tent City Five, and not only that we're engaged there, but we actually attend some of the civic meetings that go on to protect the most vulnerable that are here. October 22nd is the next one. We're waiting for a little bit more information about it. It's at 9 a.m. and it's at the Municipal Tower downtown on the 40th floor. However, we're waiting for a little bit more information and confirmation that that's the date and the time, and that'll come out in our weekly email, which if you have not signed up for and checked, make sure you do that at unitedchurch.live. Just a little plug, because that email has a lot of information about our community and where it is that we're going and just ways in which you can connect better and do beautiful things for the people that are around us. And so I want to invite you into that space, invite you to create with us together as we move forward and outward into the community around us to make a difference. It's not necessarily for the credibility of the church, it's for the credibility of Jesus in this place that we have chosen to inhabit, that people would begin to see him fresh and new and realize that he is, he is love and that they can see that through us, how we engage, how we interact, how we move, that this is our identity as a people. And we do this, we do this because of Jesus. That is who we are, that is where we're moving, and we want to be more and more like him in his image and in his likeness. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for we thank you for the example that he has set for us. We thank you that he continues to push us forward and into the world beyond that we can be a light to others. Father, we pray that you would continue to embolden us and empower us and shoot us forward into this world to make a difference even when we don't think it's necessary or, or possible. Help us to be difference makers. It's in your son's name that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.